think Marilyn's just joining. Hi, Marilyn. Thanks for joining. My pleasure. Thank you. Sure. I was just saying I wanted this to be a little bit more informal. So if anyone has any questions, feel free to chime in or put them in the chat box. I'd be happy to uh, answer any of them. So I guess the um, where this all started was um, my husband, Dovi, um, had given a class um, about tefillah. He was about tefillah, and then they, they got to um, the bracha of Shasani uh, Kersono or Shaloasani Isha. And then from there, he did a class for women specifically about like, you know, addressing that in a little bit more detail. And then from that, um, I guess people wanted uh, some more insight and um, he handed the baton over to me. <laughs> um, so Smart here, here I am. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyhow, so here I am. Um, I guess I've, I guess this is kind of my area, my topic. I, I seem to always be talking about this whenever I speak, um, you know, for the JSN or other events. When I did, I went to, hey, Shelly. Hi. Hi, Rena. How are you? Hi. Um, when I went to uh, Neve for a few years, this is actually my so-called thesis um, that I that I wrote was on this uh, this basic topic. So anyhow, um, we're going to go into a few different questions that people frequently have about women in Judaism. Um, but before we do that, we need to start with uh, you know a, a basic premise, um, and that is that God created the world with a master plan. He had, um, there's a reason why every single human being who is alive now or ever was alive was put on this earth. And the reason any of us are alive today is because God decided that today your existence was crucial to his master plan. Um, there are no mistakes. He didn't forget your existence. He didn't forget like, oh, you know, there's a, a bit player on the side and kind of leave them in. Every single person who is alive today or ever was alive is crucial to his plan. Um, so you're put on this earth and you are hired, you know, so to speak, for a specific job. Um, when God put you on this earth, he decided which role you would have to play. And he equipped you specifically for that role. Um, if your job was to be an amazing singer and inspire people with beautiful song, you will have a very great voice. If you do not have a great voice, don't worry. It's not your job to inspire people with beautiful song. I know that I don't have a great voice and I'm fine with that because it's not my job to sing away. Um, but if, so he decided when he put you in this world, which gender you should be, which body you should have and everything about you. And those are specifically um, what is, you know, kind of what you have is, is what gears you up or gets you prepared for the role you're supposed to play. So every hardship that you have, every is, you know, is a training ground for your, for your role and every, um, every asset that you have is, you know, for you to be able to fulfill your mission in this world. Um, so obviously part of that is his decision to create you as either a man or a woman. Uh, men and women have separate but equally important jobs. And you can be sure that if you are a woman, then your job is somehow, uh, you know, your, your, uh, your feminine self is somehow important to that job. Uh, in various ways, every person expresses that in a different way. Every person is also an individual person and every person has a unique um, role and a unique job to do. But part of that, part of what you need is 
is the fact that you're a woman is, is part of your mission. Um, so just wanted to start off with that basic premise and we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit more. Um, you may already be familiar with this concept, especially if you've heard any of my classes on the topic before, but we'll just touch on it really quickly because also an important, um, an important premise. I'll call you back after it's over. Um, so just an, another important premise is that um, the idea of a, uh, a giver and a receiver. Um, I don't know if you've, um, has anyone here heard of that, uh, heard of that concept in Judaism? Okay, thank you, Marilyn. See so you nodding there. Um, so basically, um, in general, and this is a, a you know has a lot of kabbalistic um, meaning to it. So we're not going to get into it in a lot of detail. But the idea is basically that um, in every relationship, there's going to be a giver um, in Hebrew called a notain and a mekabel which in English uh, is a receiver. So, so, so a giver and a receiver. You cannot have a giver without a receiver. It's not possible for someone to give without someone to receive. And in the same token, you cannot have a receiver without a giver. You can't receive something if no one gave it to you. So in general, um, men are kind of take on that role of a giver um, and women take on the role of a receiver. There's many different times when we kind of fit different, fill different roles and fill different aspects of that role. For example, vis-a-vis -vis God, God is the ultimate giver and we are the receivers, whether we are male or female. Um, in the parent-child relationship, the, the parent is uh, the giver and the child is the receiver. So just because you are female doesn't mean that at different times in different relationships, you're not a giver or a receiver, but ultimately kind of the, the um, archetype of a female is the archetypical receiver. And, um, the, the, I guess the basic, um, the most easy to understand um, idea of this is um, a man gives sperm, a woman receives the sperm, and then from that builds a baby. So the idea in Judaism is also that you receive something and then women, oh, the, the archetypical role of a woman is to then take that material which she's received and build something greater from it. Um, so that's kind of point number two, point one is um, point number one is that, um, you are, is, uh, sorry, that God put his, put you here for a specific purpose, a specific role. Uh, the second point is that just women, uh, the archetypical female role is a role of, of, well, I'll call giving through receiving, receiving, but in enabling a giver to give by receiving. Um, someone posted a question, um, do I believe that God is male? And the answer to that is absolutely not, um, because I believe that God is 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 neither male or female. He is uh, has no body, therefore can't have you know any male or female chromosomes or or body parts. Um, God in in Judaism is sometimes referred to as male, sometimes referred to as female, um, typically depending on the type of relationship. However, when I said that vis-a-vis -vis our relationship with God, um, God is considered male. Um, only in that God is the receiver, which is kind of what we'll call the male, um, the male archetype. Um, so God is, sorry, the, the giver. God is the giver, which is the male archetype and, and human beings are the receivers. Um, but like the word Shekhinah, for example, which is uh, the connotation of God's presence is, um, is a female word. Um, we use depending on the, the role or the, the, the way we're relating to God at that moment. Um, 
that will depend how we refer to God in, in which gender. However, God doesn't have any gender. He only um, has, uh, we only kind of refer to him in ways that make sense to us. So you can, if you want to think of God as, as more female, that it doesn't really matter. He's, he's neither male nor female. And, you know, that's, uh, I think what Judaism uh, sees it as overall. Does that answer the question, Roberta? Okay, well, um, I'll move on because Roberta, you're muted, but if you have anything to add, feel free to, to put it in the, in the chat box. Um, and thank you for that. Can you hear me now? Yes, yes. Okay, hi. Hi. Um, anyway, um, I guess um, where I'm a little confused is that you also said that God is the giver. And you also said that men are the givers and that women are the receivers. So it seems to me, if you're classifying God as a giver and you're classifying men as givers, then God is a he. Okay, I see where you're going. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so I think there, um, to back up a little bit, I wasn't clear about this. Um, men and women both are many different things. Um, you know, if you, if someone says, you know, uh, a man is something or a female is something, it's never going to be true for everything, for every man or every um, woman. It's always going to be a mix. We all are a mix of every, of you know, of male or female. The only real male ever was Adam and the only real female ever was Eve. We all have um, right now, since the beginning of time, DNA that of comprised of both male and female in us. Um, there's only one chromosome that's gonna de determine which, which gender we have, but we're all a mix of both. Um, but women are more female and men are more male. Um, when I'm referring to the role of male as a giver and female as a receiver, I'm referring to it as an archetype, as an idea, not in terms of actual gender of male or female. Um, so God, when he takes on the role of giver, is referred to as male. Um, when he takes on the role of, uh, of, a, of more of a, like a um, side by side relationship, where like Shrina, where he dwells amongst, among us, um, then um, he takes on what's, you know, the more feminine form of, of Shekhinah. But it, this, I guess, is a, you know, more Kabbalistic and, and truthfully understanding all of it and understanding how we relate to God is, is um, you know, not something that I'm totally comfortable relating to or understanding. It's, it's beyond my, my understanding. I do know that in general, God has no body. So how could he be male or female? Um, it's just more about how we relate to him. Does that, does that make so, sense? Well, one more thing. So if God is sometimes the receiver, then wouldn't you say she, not he? Yeah, you could. Um, yes. Um, I think we're more comfortable with using the word he because the English language is limited and that you have to choose a gender pronoun. Um, and so we choose he because in English, he tends to be more, um, I guess, accepted as, as being both. Um, but in Hebrew, sometimes God is referred to by the word Elohim, which is um, a masculine, My Lord. right? right. Yes, um, but there are other terms for God which are feminine, um, and it's you know it's hard to explain in English, and certainly without saying the the actual names. But th for example, the word Shekhinah, which is a manifestation of God in this world, His presence is a feminine word. 
so yes, you can, it's God is both. God is everything. Okay. Thank you. Sure. Um, okay. So, um, well, just um, moving along, one of uh, many of the things in, in Judaism. Just, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Sorry, can I just just add something? So, sure. in Hebrew, when you read the certain things, for example, the Katamazon, mm -hmm. which is after read, uh, you can see that in the Hebrew again, the reference to God sometimes is in the female, even to the same name, is in female and sometimes in male, because in Hebrew, there is a you know the verb has a tend right. You can say. The, in the verb, you say differently for women and for women, men, right? So mm -hmm. you say holech and holechet, right? So right. you can see there that it's different in the Berkat Amazon and in many, many locations in the Bible. So you can actually see it in the Hebrew that sometimes it's referred to as female and sometimes as male. Thank you, Shiri. I actually did not, uh, I'll have to pay attention next time in Berkat Amazon. I did not notice that. Um, but that's, uh, thank you. That's an excellent point is that it's, you know, it, it changes. Um, and I think another proof that God is neither male nor female. Thank you, Shiri. Um, okay, so just uh, the next point is that many of the things in Judaism that kind of appear to diminish women um, are really just ways to keep us hyper-focused on our mission. We don't know when we're brought into this world, there's not like, hi, you were hired for this job of, you know, sales associate and your job description is X, Y, and Z. We don't, we don't know what our mission is, but we do have signposts along the way and God helps us by focusing us on our mission. So kind of, you know, ways to keep us from veering off the path of what our purpose is. Um, so with all that background, let's look at some of the common questions and seek to address them. Um, so the first question is, um, why can't women bear witness or be judges? Does Judaism think that women are untrustworthy? So if you didn't know, um, women are not allowed to be a witness uh, in a Jewish court of law, and nor are they allowed to be a judge in a Jewish court of law. They are allowed to be, I guess, in a secular court. Um, but in a Jewish court of law, women cannot um, be witnesses or judges. So looking at that, you might think, well, that is unfair. I guess Judaism does not think that women are trustworthy. Um, and so going into that a little bit deeper, it's that there's, this has nothing to do with trust. When, for example, um, a woman says something related to kashrut or to the laws of taharata mishpacha, family purity, which are the basically most essential parts of a Jewish home, um, she is completely trusted. No one's looking over her shoulder. If a, if a woman in her home says to her husband or anyone else, hey, I cooked this and I used, you know, the, the empire chicken from Trader Joe's. There is no one that has to look over her shoulder and confirm that, yes, indeed, she did use the chicken from Trader Joe's, like she said. If a woman um, goes to the mikvah and she says, I, you know, I counted seven days and now I am pure and I went to the mikvah, there is no need for verification. No one needs to go and check that she did, in fact, go to the mikvah. Um, no one's looking over her shoulder. She is completely believed. And in fact, the laws of Taharat and Mishpacha are so, so important to, um, to, to Jewish family. Um, the, the punishment for violating them is extremely severe, one of the most severe, um, but there's no questioning her, her statement. If she says it, it's, it's taken as true. Um, the only time a woman can't bear witness or be a judge is in matters related between um, 
basically that involve another person. And why is that? So for example, if someone comes to the court and says, um, you know, Joe owes me $100. And Joe says, no, I actually don't owe $100. Then a woman is not able to come in and say, actually, yes, I heard Joe saying that uh, he, you know, that this guy owes him $100, right? So in that type of situation, she is not able to bear witness. So why? So let's talk a little bit about what it is that's required in a court of law and what it is that women have that make them either a good fit or a bad fit for that. So um, the most important thing about a Jewish court of law is that justice is blind. It says very specifically in the Torah, it's not even you know a suggestion. It says you cannot um, sway your judgment in favor of the rich nor the poor. So the poor people can't be judged more favorably just because you feel bad for them. If some guy comes to you and he has holes in his clothes and he hasn't eaten in a week and he says, this really, really rich guy owes me $5 and I need that $5 so I can go buy a meal. You And if that is not true, you can't just out of the goodness and kindness of your heart or to be fair, say, you know what? It is, uh, we're gonna rule in favor of the poor man and he is able to get that $5. You cannot do that. That is just not, justice. Justice is blind. Women, however, were granted nine out of 10 measures of something called Bina. Bina is, um, there's several different ways of kind of uh, describing, um, you would say like intelligence or wisdom or whatever it is. One of those words is Bina. And the way we explain Bina is that it is mevin davar mitoch davar. It means understanding something from something else. So for example, taking a fact and then delving deeper, looking beyond it and finding a different conclusion. So if, um, uh, you know, a, a, there's a, a several common examples of this um, in, in Tanakh, it's all over the place. But um, for example, you know, the biggest example would be um, Rivka. Um, was looking at her two sons, Yaakov and Esav, and she had the same facts that that um, that Yitzchak did, but she's able to see beyond that. She's able to see Esav comes to um, comes to me and he pretends to be good, but she's able to look beyond that and know that he's really just fooling his parents and is actually uh, you know a, a vicious and cruel hunter and uh, has a lot of illicit relationships. So she's able to see beyond the persona that he's that he's portraying to his father. And that's Bina. It's understanding more than just the facts on the ground. Um, this is something that women are specifically gifted with. Um, some people call it women's intuition. It's not women's intuition. It's not like, oh, just a hunch or something. It's um, something that God gave to women, which is that this ability to see beyond the facts. And it's something that we need, every woman needs in order to be able to do her mission on this world. However, when you're, when you're trying to achieve justice, it's important that you just look at the facts. You're just supposed to look at the bare basic facts and make a judgment based on that. You're not supposed to be swayed by this person's um, you know, terrible background or this person's poverty or this person's difficulty. There's no yes, but in a court of law. It's not like, yes, he owes him the money, but it wasn't you know, X, Y, Z, or yes, um, he did hit him, but it was really, you know, he was very provoked. There's no yes, but. That is something, though, that is the uh, special 
role of a woman is to look beyond that. So it's not, it's not right to have a woman come to the court of law and do something that is not just against her nature, because the truth is that not every woman has this nature to be specifically empathic or to look beyond, but actually to do something that would be contrary to the, the role and the mission that God put her into this earth for. So, um, <clears throat> um, the muscle that women are supposed to be training is related to Bina. It's related to looking beyond the facts. And God very kindly puts this um, signpost and says, if you think that you're supposed to just look at the bare basic facts and make a judgment based on that, women, let me tell you, you're veering off your mission. This is not your goal. This is not your role. So let's kind of move you out of, um, out of the wrong path. So that's the basic idea. Um, we're not asking women to train a specific muscle that isn't what their role is. Um, so nothing to do with, again, with untrustworthiness, but just to do with uh, women's role overall. Uh, any, any questions here? Does this sit well with us? Oh, can a, sure, go can ahead. A woman, can a woman be a lawyer? Uh, a secular lawyer? Um, any kind of lawyer. Uh, in like a, I, so Jewish courts have something called similar to a lawyer, but I'm not actually familiar with the halacha of them. But certainly a woman can be a, a, a lawyer in you know, a, a secular court. Sure, no problem. But the woman cannot be a judge. Um, I'm actually not familiar with the halachot of um, you know, judges in the secular court. Um, there I is an Orthodox so. woman, who, a well-known Orthodox woman who's a judge. In New I was going to say, I do know that there are some Orthodox women who are judges. Um, I don't, I'm not familiar with those halachot. Um, I do know that there's a difference also between, um, Amer you know, between secular law, especially in America versus Jewish law. There's, uh, it, it's obviously an extremely different system. So um, there is actually room for mercy in the, in the, uh, I guess, American court system, um, there is more room for, for judgment versus um, in the Jewish court of law, it's, there's a much, much higher burden of proof, um, but, but there's a very specific type of um, requirement. So there's not a lot of leeway, but again, I don't know. I can find out that for you, you know, the specifics on that. Thank you. Yeah, this, is, this is really excellent. Um, I have another question though, which is, to what extent do you think um, there's a cultural influence? Um, meaning, um, to what extent do you think what's going on in in the the culture of the time was affecting some of the the some of the rules, so to speak? Or particularly when you think of Shiloh Asani Shah, that wasn't directly from the Torah; that was written by the rabbis. So, is that something that you think can adapt and change, or is that set in stone? So it's important to, I think, um, break down the differences between societal things that are going on versus, like you said, you know, culturally, the differences between um, men and women or, or how society is treating men and women and what it is um, and what's from the Torah. So these halachot about, um, about uh, bearing witness are, are from the Torah uh, or from Moshe Sinai. Um, I'm not sure if they're exactly in Tanakh or if they were handed down as Halacha Lemosha Misinai, um, but um, those are non-negotiable. Um, 
but yeah, I agree with you that certain, certain things maybe are influenced by the time. I wouldn't say that going back as far as let's say the, the Gemara, that those are, um, they, the decisions and the rulings that the Chachamim who wrote down the Gemara wrote, um, those were based on, um, you know, really um, a very clear divine, um, divine understanding um, that was handed down to them from through the generations. So those I don't think are, but certainly as you get closer to um, closer to, to modern times, the customs can change. There are certain things that um, that do change based on the time. For example, um, trying to think of, uh, I guess just, you know, the biggest example would be women going to school. So there weren't um, schools for women. Women were always taught in the home and they were taught very basically. They weren't taught um, a lot of, uh, really a lot of Torah. They were taught the, the, the laws and rules that they had to know um, in order to function. Sure, there were exceptions, like we know Rashi's daughters were very learned, um, but for the most part, society said women shouldn't learn Torah in depth. Um, over time, that's changed, and now um, they started the Beit Yaakov movement, and, and um, women who do go to, to schools, to Beit Yaakov schools, are, you know, very learned, have spent, you know, countless hours learning in depth um, Tanakh, and some parts of Gemara and uh, a lot of a lot of uh, the you know Mefarshim, so a lot of uh, explanation on that. They, I, I spent over half of every day um, of my entire school career learning um, Torah in depth, which is vastly, vastly different than even my grandmother and uh, or great grandmother. For well, no, my great grandmother was actually my great grandmother was one of the first students in the Beit Yaakov, so she did have an in-depth um, Torah learning. Um, but certainly anything before that, and that was obviously societal, and that was something that changed because women needed more at the time, and and they and so we addressed it and, and gave them more. Does that uh, that makes that makes perfect sense? Um, Am but, I forgetting history, or wasn't Deborah a judge? Yes, actually, that's a good point. Um, I think she was a judge, but not, um, and I can look into this more. Um, I remember she sat under the tree and judged, right? But I right. don't know what type of judgments those were. Um, they were big things. Well, no, it's not, it's not a matter of big or small. It's a matter of specifically judging between, um, uh, uh, and women can be brought into court for establishing facts that are not related to um, uh, uh, arguments between two different people. But I can find out. That's actually a really good point because you're right. She did sit under the tree and judge. Although I thought she was more prophet than shofet or I don't know what the Hebrew term is. Yeah. Uh, in the sense that, and we do know they're well-known um, female prophetesses. I mean, including Miriam and I think all four of the foremothers were. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think Roberta is right. There is some measure. She isn't in, included in, in Safer Shoftim, and she is some measure of a, 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 of a judge. I just don't know what form of a judge that is. So that's a really good point, Roberta. I can, I can find out. It was, I did learn this uh, in detail, and it was many years and five babies ago. So I certainly, certainly don't remember, but I'll, um, I'll find out. That's actually a really good point. Thank you. Sure. Um, yeah, no, I have that vision of her sitting outside under a tree. 
specifically um, for Tzniut reasons, because she didn't want to be like alone with men in a closed room. Um, so she would sit outside under a tree. Um, okay, so uh, the next question that I have on my list, but if someone wants to address something else, that's fine with me too. Um, next question I have on my list is, uh, why do women stand behind the mechitza, um, which sometimes comes along with why is women's section so small? Why can't we see what's going on? Um, why are women shunted off to the side and shul? All sorts of questions like that. So with this one, and Bonnie, this kind of also relates to what you said a little bit, which is taking away, which is unpacking the actual halakha or the actual requirement from the cultural influence. Um, so, and in this case, it's more separating the practical application versus the heart of, of what we're trying to achieve. Um, there is no reason for women to stand behind a mechitza in that, uh, you know, to be in the back of the shul. Um, the commandment, the requirement is only that men and women do not pray together in the same space. So they're, they're separated by a divider. Men have the same obligation of, as women as to not pray together. It's not a commandment on women. It's not a commandment on men. It's both of us can't pray together. It's a communal commandment. Um, practically, some shoals um, have a lot of female attendees and therefore they have large uh, women's sections. Some shoals um, don't have a lot of women going to them. So they're very small women's sections. Sometimes they're rather pathetic women's sections. Sometimes um, the shoals are separated so that you can hardly see, or they're not built with women in mind. That all is, you know, take it up with whoever built that shoal or the architect of the shoal, or, or honestly, just what's practical. For example, my, um, my in-laws live down the street from a yeshiva, which is a boys' school, and every day there are, I would say, like 100 men who daven there, uh, well, boys, really, teenagers, um, who daven there, and we go there on... Um, uh, to Davin on Rosh Hashanah and where we used to when we when we lived uh, in driving distance of Queens. So um, we go there on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So the women's section there is very small. It happens to be a beautiful tefillah. I love going there, but the women's section is small. It's kind of like behind some stacked tables and chairs. Um, and that's because, yeah, it's a boys school and they just, as an afterthought, added a section so that the wives of the Rebbeim can go. That is, that's, you know, practical. But on the other hand, when I spent my two years um, on Neve's campus, which is a women, if you're not familiar with them, it's a, a women's uh, Jewish college in, um, in Israel, in Jerusalem. So I was there for two years and they have a very large synagogue for women only, uh, or mostly for women. And it has a tiny and pathetic little men's section. Uh, it's kind of on the side with some very ugly curtains and they, the men kind of like the, the few rabbis who are there for that week kind of duck in they they you know do whatever prayers they they do for us we actually there's a one of the rabbis is a kohen he comes he does berkat kohanim uh, and then the rest of the very large synagogue accommodates probably you know 200 250 women or girls i guess depending on um how you look at it um they uh that's for them so really a lot of it is just a practical application and if you don't like the way your shul has the machitza you know that's a, a conversation for the board really uh, nothing to do with judaism um my that father shul, you know, are the women allowed to be balay tefillah uh in the neve shul uh great question and i'll actually um that's actually my next question is why can't women leave the tefillah but no is the short answer and we'll we'll get to that 
Um, my father's shawl, um, when we lived in Sandy Springs, Georgia, had a beautiful uh, one-way glass with like painting, mechitza, and it was, it was beautiful. You felt really a part of the, the tefillah. Um, so that's the, the practical thing. But so why, so why do women have to be separate? So the, the main heart of the, of the requirement is that men and women are separate. And um, that fact is that when we go to shul, again, we're, we're here to, to be hyper-focused on a specific mission. Men and women come to shul for one reason, one reason only. It is not kiddish. It is not for social mingling. It is not to meet your prospective mates. It is not for anything other than to connect to Hashem, daven to him, and that's it. If you happen to have a kiddish afterwards, that's a completely separate thing. Um, but the mechitza keeps it hyper-focused. And that is because we deal with realities of men and women. Um, there's, I mean, you can say whatever you want, but when men and women are together, there's more of a cognizance of the other gender. It just is the way we're built, the way it is. And that detracts from our focus when praying, paying attention to God. Now, there may be a specific woman, a specific man who is able to be hyper-focused and walk into a room filled with men and, and women and um, focus only on his relationship with God. That is certainly true. Um, but in this particular instance, there are some, some things about Judaism where we deal in individuals. There are some things that are communal. Communal prayer is communal by its nature. And so we make the, the judgment that is best for the community. And that is most people get distracted. So therefore, we separate the genders so that everyone can focus on praying to God. Um, again, sometimes it means that practically, oh, the women are in the back and they can't hear, um, but that's not the commandment that has you know, nothing to do with the heart of what we're trying to achieve. Okay, anything else on, um, anything else on this, on this topic? I have, um, Okay, so my next, um, so sorry, going back this, okay, next question was on, on Bonnie's question, which is, um, so why can't, um, why can't women lead the prayers? Um, there's a few different, um, you know, explanations for this, but the main one is as follows, um, which kind of is part of my, and actually, maybe I should do this next one first. Um, sorry, Bonnie, we'll get back to yours. We're going to do one more and then get back to you. Um, this one is, why can't women be part, counted as part of a minion? Um, so the answer to this is very simple, and it's because women aren't obligated in being part of a minion. Um, in, sorry, in davening with a minion. Um, women are not counted as part of the 10 men because there needs to be 10 men who are obligated in davening, which is why the same thing, you don't count a child, uh, non-Jew, um, or anyone who is not obligated in part of davening with the 10 um, men as part of a minion. Now, the reason why women are not counted as part of the, are, are not obligated in, count, in uh, davening with 10 other men is because the whole reason why men have to daven with, um, with nine other men, or there has to be a minion of 10 men, is to compensate for the, um, for the sin of the spies in the desert. So the whole reason we actually even know um, about this whole minion thing, and that we know that minion means 10 people, Minion just means like a, gr a group. Um, so the reason why we know that it's 10 people is because the Gemara, um, when it goes through and, and explains it, it says um, the word, it uses the word Eda, um, that you need to, to pray or to daven as part of an Eda. And that um, is the word that's used to describe the 
um, the spies, when they went, were called an Ada. Um, there were 12 spies that went, two of them came back with a good report, 10 of them came back with a negative report. The men um, unfortunately listened to the report of the 10 spies and started crying and wailing and not believing in God and not believing that we'd be able to conquer the land. And therefore there was a decree that all of the men uh, between uh, I think 20 and 60 who were at that time were, um, would be killed and would not be entered, allowed to enter the land of Israel. The women did not believe the report uh, they did not sin with the spies, and therefore they don't have anything to make up for in this particular area. There's just, it's not something that they're trying to, um, to, to make up for. So therefore they are not um, commanded to Davin as part of a minion of 10 men. And because of that, it's not their obligation, so they can't be counted as part of it. Um, then to answer Bonnie's question, the women, reason why women can't lead the tefillah is because they're not obligated. So you can't have someone um, saying the brachot when they're not obligated in it. Um, women can fulfill the obligation for something else that they are obligated in. For example, if a woman uh, does have to say the bracha before she um, eats bread, she is able to be motzi to um, to to say the bracha for a man. It has nothing to do with being a man or, or a woman. It has to do with being obligated or not obligated. The same thing, someone under bar or bas mitzvah is not obligated in mitzvot and therefore cannot um, be motzi or, or um, fulfill the obligation on behalf of someone who is not obligated or someone who is obligated. So that is the long, uh, long and short of it. I know we didn't get to that in too much detail. Sorry, Bonnie. Actually, um, actually that's super helpful. I, okay. I didn't know any of that. So thank you very much. Sure. Um, okay, we are here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. Have a great night. Bye. Thank, you. Thank, you. thank you. Bye bye. Bye.